We are starting a new series today, Fight Right. You know, we just finished a series called Satisfaction Guaranteed. And the last week in that series, Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said this, you need to understand victory is yours. I've overcome. That's a great statement, but we have to make sure we understand how to go about it. I wanted to make sure that as we moved into this next series, we didn't just move on from that promise, but instead we take some time to figure out how exactly should we do this fight so that we end up honoring God and overcoming. That's the series we're going through, Fight Right, how to battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's get started. There was a a Japanese emperor. He was extremely desirous of this great painting of a bird. He wanted it to be flamboyant, detailed. He wanted it to just wow anybody who saw it. And so he called in one of the best artists in the area. And he told him what he wanted. And the artist said, okay. And he went away to paint. And the emperor waited days and weeks and months And he was getting very impatient. He ended up going to the house of the artist and saying, what's going on? Where are you at? And what are you doing with this thing? And the artist invited him in and sat him down and turned a blank canvas to him and said, I'll paint it for you now. And he went and he painted one of the most gorgeous paintings of a bird that the, that the emperor had ever seen. And he said, I I don't understand Why did you wait till now when I come here upset? And then it only takes you two hours to do it anyway. What were you doing? And he went back to his table and he pulled out a drawer and he pulled out stacks of drawings and paintings and pictures. And he showed him wings and then beaks and then feet and then colors and all of the stuff that he had been practicing on over the last months And he said, I want you to know this. I've been preparing so that I could do that in two hours. You know, when we talk about fight right, it's exactly the same for us. We better not think we're just going to pick it up and do it and just bang. In the first hour, we got it. There's going to be some serious preparing that needs to take place before we dive into the battle. And that's what we're going to look at today. How do I prepare? How do I prepare my heart? in order to engage the world, the flesh, and the devil, and experience victory. That's what we're looking at today. We're going to go straight to Psalm 51. You know, the ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. And as you go to Psalm 51, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hands. The ushers will get one to you. We would uh, love to get a Bible to you there so you can follow with us. We're just going to be going verse by verse through this. Psalm 51. What is God's starting point in engaging in battle? You know, Psalm 51 is a psalm that David wrote. So let's just get our little, our context, right? David wrote this just after his time with Bathsheba. He had committed an affair. He had committed adultery. He also had Uriah killed, her husband. He was sitting in a spot where he was now a murderer and adulterer. He had become totally self-absorbed. And in that moment of recognizing his baseness, he turns back towards God. And that's what Psalm 51 is capturing. That's our context as we start going into it. Now remember also, this is uh, Hebrew poetry, right? We've talked about this a number of times. So 
Hebrew poetry, it's not about the rhyme and rhythm, you know, like English poetry is. It's not da 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 right? That's not poetry. Hebrew poetry is about one phrase set against another phrase and making those two phrases clearly speak to a truth, okay? That's Hebrew poetry. So as you read through the Psalms or a lot of the Old Testament that's written in poetry and you see these phrases and it looks like they're saying the same thing twice, they are. It's called parallelism. And they're putting them side by side in order to make an impact. Either they're different or they're the same or they're trying to extend the truth. So just watch for that as we move through, okay? This is great Psalm Hebrew poetry about how to prepare the heart. So what's the first step? Be transparent and repentant with God. Be transparent and repentant with God. Okay, let's just dive in. Verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Are you hearing the parallelism? Have mercy according to your mercy. What is this mercy? It means holding back something that you actually deserve to get. It means you deserve a punishment and I'm not dishing it out to you. Please, Lord, don't give me what I'm warranted. Please, Lord, hold back from me the very thing that's due me. Please do that. On account of what? Well, I'm kind of counting on your steadfast love. I'm counting on your hesed, is the Hebrew word. I'm counting on your please, Lord, in the depths of your soul, that core of you that is so consistent, so perfect, so loving, so giving. May that part of you that steadfast love of you, reach out to me and give me mercy. Hold back from me the punishment I'm deserved. He says, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Make it as if they never occurred. That's what he's saying. Verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's saying, I'm not just saying forget about it. That could be viewed as mercy, right? Your deserved punishment, but I'm just not going to give it to you. He's saying it's more than just, I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to wash you. David's saying, please, Lord, make it as if it's never occurred. Clean me up before you. May I be standing before you like it's never happened. Cleansed, blotted out, clean. Verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Have you ever noticed that? Like the more comfortable you get with who God is and the more you're seeing him in scripture and the more you're watching him move in this world, the more uncomfortable we get with ourselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's just me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like the more we see his holiness, the more we see his greatness, the more we see his love and his perfection and his humility and his sacrifice, the more we go, you know, uncomfortable, Right? That's what David's saying. My sin is standing before me and screaming at me. I am so aware of my junk. Why? Because he's just hit the bottom and he's become so aware of God and his willingness to come into his life. As we become so open to our Lord, our sin, our junk, our mistakes, our shortcomings, our, I'll do it my way, thank you, really starts to become apparent to us. He's saying, my sin 
it's sitting ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Really? I thought you just had an affair. Didn't you sin against the husband? Didn't you actually send him off and pretty much set it up so he'd be killed? Isn't that kind of an offense against him too? What are you saying here, David? Here's what he's really saying. I want to be clear. We all are having our sin mistakes. We all have our issues with right and wrong choices. And while I've done things that have wronged the person next to me on either side, I want you to know this, God. You're the one who stands there never making a mistake. You're perfect. You are glorious. You are awesome. And I'm sinning against your very character. When I choose to go my own way, it starts with a finger wagging, saying, oh, no. I know where you want me to go, but I'm going here anyway. He's saying, everything is starting with my resistance against you. And I want to apologize for that. Please forgive me, Lord, that I've been wagging my finger at you. Please forgive me that I've been saying I'll do it my way. I'm really not interested in your your thoughts right now. He says right after that, so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your sight. In other words, you said that I was imperfect. You said that I warranted some punishment. You've told me, and you were right. I see it, God. I'm seeing the point. I've missed it badly. Have you ever noticed how circumstances bring you to that spot? Have you noticed that? Like every time that you see somebody who really has the aha experience, They've usually had a circumstance that revolved right around it that really brought them to wit's end where it was like, I can't go any further. This is it. And they turn back and they go, oh, you are so awesome. And I, do you know what I'm saying? The turn is because they've hit rock bottom. The circumstance gets you headed back. David's circumstance was saying, I found you as righteous judge. I found you as loving God. I found you merciful. I hit rock bottom and I'm turning back to you. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's giving us a little bit of insight to the theology of sin. When we're born, we are already sinful. When we were conceived, the moment there was life, our inklings of nature were leaning against him. That's what David's saying. Children are born wanting their own stuff. And we work with them and we help shape them and we patiently adjust with them and train them along the way. But the reality is we can learn to say mine pretty quickly in life. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what he's saying from the moment of conception. Really? I thought we were born in the image of God. I thought we were made in the image of God. How does that all work? I once had a seminary prof that explained it this way. It was uh, back in the days where there were chalkboards instead of whiteboards. So he picked up chalk and he goes, imagine this. And he writes, image of God on the chalkboard. You know, you can hear the chalk going, you know, and it squeaks and it gives you the creeps. You know what I'm talking about? So he's writing that up there, image of God. And he sets it down. That is how God's plan was to create us. Perfectly written upon you, image of God. And he takes his hand and he says, sin. And he just goes, And kind of wipes through it. 
It's not, it's not wiped out. It's not gone. You can see parts of the letters and stuff, but it's smeared and it's messed. And, and there's some letters that are more clear and others are almost completely gone. It's sort of, kind of, the image of God written up there. Do you know what he's saying? That's where we're born. And so you say to yourself, I know some people that don't follow Jesus Christ at all, and they're pretty good people. Image of God written upon them. And they're kind of mirroring God's character. How do we have this sense of right and wrong in us? Conscience. Where does that come from? Image of God. Kind of written there, sort of. You know what I'm saying? And then it's sort of smeared out too. So what does it mean to come to Christ? It means as we build a relationship with him, And he offers forgiveness through his shed blood. As he begins to work with us, what he's done is he's picked up the chalk. And he's starting to fill it back in. And the image of God is starting to be written on you more clearly than it's ever been written before. That's what sanctification means. That's what being perfected means. That's what becoming more like Christ means. It means the image of God that was wiped out because of sin in some way, shape, or form blotted is now being restored by the very hand of God Almighty. What is he saying when he's saying, surely from conception, he's saying, I I resent that I've made the bad decision and I know that every piece of me is headed against you, but you are bringing me back towards you. Thank you, God, for your work in my life. Behold, you delight in the truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Truth and wisdom. It's really the key parts to repentance. You see, what David is saying is, I haven't just come to rock bottom over here. I haven't just turned around and realized that I have a God that's worth serving and that I could declare the old mercy cry. You know, hey, God, how about that loving kindness thing? Bring it over here so I can just keep abusing you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I've recognized it. But let me tell you, wisdom and truth have become the core of who I am. He has taken up residence within me and he is speaking to who I am. He is moving and shaping and I am beginning to step towards him. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom means you're not just taking knowledge, but you're applying it and moving forward. Wisdom in the secret parts of your heart. That's what repentance is. It's turning and looking and heading and running back towards who God is and wanting to be with him and wanting to be a part of him and having the knowledge of him change in shape where you're headed. It's saying, I want to be more like you, Lord. I don't want to just hear the words get a little warm, fuzzy, and move on and make the same mistake tomorrow. I want it done. I want to be more like you where this battle is over. That is hearing the truth and experiencing the repentance. We need to sit down with God and we need to be transparent and tell him where we really are. And then we need to really be headed after him with all we've got. You know, all too often we let the guilt of our own junk just weigh in on us. And we let it start to implode us. You know, last week we came home to our house and uh, opened the back door as we walk in. And normally our dog, Teddy, who you've all come to know and love in various ways, shapes and forms through stories, comes running to the back door, right? Normally that's what he does. He comes back there and he's wagging his tail and he runs outside with us and he's whining and crying, not because I'm there, he couldn't care less, but because John is there. He's whining and he's running around her and circling her and goes out. Okay, 
This time we come home and open the back door, nothing. And Jonna calls, nothing. And the kids and I go in and we go downstairs. And there's no Teddy, we don't know. We're sitting down there, we turn on the TV. And Jonna comes in and goes, I don't get it. Normally when Teddy hides from me like that, he's done something wrong. And he doesn't want to fess up. Do you know what I'm saying? And so the dog comes down the steps and just kind of has his head hanging low. I mean, you got to picture, it's like this dog is living the example, right? And he just kind of walks in the room like, I'm so sorry, you know? And Jonna goes, I just can't see what he did. I don't, oh, never mind. And there's a pizza box over in the corner of the basement. He has grabbed the pizza box. I can't remember if there was pizza in it or not, but he took it down, tore it up, licked it to death, and then lived the guilt. Do you know what I'm saying? And he's walking around with this guilt like, oh, I can't believe I've done this. They're going to be so upset. And so he stays away. Jonna calls him over, walks through the little ritual. What have you done? You know, that kind of experience. And he ends up kind of fessing up, comes to her, and then she ends up taking the things, throwing them away. And all of a sudden, life is grand. And the dog is running around again, and he's wagging his tail, and he's happy to be with us, and there is no more distance. Why? Be transparent and get clean. I'm telling you, even dogs experience it. It's real for us. It's real. It is about coming to him and saying, what do I have to get rid of? Lord, what do I need to just fess up before you on? And just drop it right there. What is it for you? What's your pizza box? What junk have you been grabbing onto and making it all about self? And you know that God wants you letting go of it. What do you need to be bringing to him? You getting it in your mind? This isn't a hypothetical question. What is it you need to be bringing to him? We've all got our sticking points. Each and every one of us has our trip. What's yours? What do you need to be confessing? What do you need to be getting clean? It's time for us to take it to him. Transparently, repentantly, excitedly. Because he's so ready to forgive and have a relationship with us. That's the first step. Be transparent. Be repentant. Second, be washed and cleansed by God. Be washed and cleansed by God. David starts out here. He's just gotten done with this wonderful, I need to come clean with you. Now he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge. You know, remove all the impurities. Make me absolutely clean. Purge me. Cleanse me. He's saying with hyssop. Now, that's this term, if you actually just look it up in scripture and see where else it's occurred, there's a couple of spots like Exodus 22. Hyssop is used to paint blood on the doorpost before they're leaving Egypt in order to save those that are truly of the tribe of Israel, of the nation of Israel. Hyssop, it was used for that. It was also used in Leviticus for the shaking over the top of a leper in order to cleanse them. Hyssop became this figurative thing to be used for cleansing and purifying and protecting. And David is saying, please, Lord, cleanse me and purify me and protect me. I want to be under your safety and security. I want you taking over control in my life. I understand that you are the ultimate creator and almighty. I want to lean into you. Purge me. 
wash me. He says, and you shall be whiter than snow. Now, this is before they had cars and horrifically ugly highways of snow after 40 seconds. You know what I'm saying? It snows, and all of a sudden it looks like it's just grimy dirt everywhere, right? This is like, picture you're out in this pristine hillside, and the white snow is falling, and it falls to a few inches, four, five, six inches, everywhere, on the trees and everything. Gorgeous white. And as the sun is hitting it, you're seeing that spectrum of light just sparkling off the sun everywhere. That kind of clean is what he's saying. Picture it. That's what I want my life to look like, Lord. That's his cry. May I look like that. Work me. Shape me. Cleanse me. Purify me. I want to stand before you absolutely purified and honoring you with all I've got. Why? Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Three words in there. Joy gladness, rejoice. He's saying, I want it because in the end, that's where joy comes from. That's where true rejoicing comes from. That's where celebration comes from. Look at the words there. Because the bones that, who broke? That you have broken. He's saying, I recognize that each and every circumstance I'm in, you're ordaining. I'm recognizing that each and every hurt and each and every struggle that I'm having to go through, you're sovereignly a part of. And I can basically say this, where I'm at and what I've gone through and what's hurting me and what's bringing me to rock bottom is you and praise your name for it. You are directing me to come to a spot where I am recognizing the right direction to head. May my broken bones be a celebration of who you are. I'm going to lift you up I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to be glad in you. Why? Because the guilt of walking around knowing you're against him weighs on your heart for an eternity. I'm just telling you, there is no satisfying feel in being against where God is at and where he wants you to be and trying to walk around and be tough in it. That saps your energy. He's saying, you want to know where rejoicing is at? It's about completely lifted free. That's what I'm telling you. You want to know what rejoicing is all about? It's about, in the end, the burden that I felt is just not there anymore. I feel like we got to turn the clocks back an hour. Do you know what I'm saying? That was just a little moment, and we actually get a smile on our face about it. It's just an hour turned back for free. This one is the weight of the world being removed from you. It's going to bring joy and gladness and rejoicing like never before. How do we lose sight of that so fast? Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like you're going through your everyday living and all of a sudden you say, you know, although I've tried that sin path five million times before and it never seems to pay off emotionally very well, maybe it will on the five millionth and first. And so we go back to the same thing again and we start down the same habit trail walking away from him. Why do we do that? Because all too often, we're more focused on the momentary gratification than the long-term joy and rejoicing. The momentary gratification. If you can shake that, you're going to begin to get the real walk with him. Joy and rejoicing. 
He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In other words, please, Lord, just throw away what I've done. I want to start over afresh with you. And then a really cool sequence of events here. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. What an awesome sequence. Create in me a clean heart. It's not about the action starting to look clean. It's about the very inside of me wanting to be clean. Create in me a clean heart, a passion for being like you. Renew a right spirit within me. May I be hungering and passionately running after all that you want and all that you're saying and all that you're about. Cast me not away from your presence. Cast me not away. In other words, let me climb up in your lap, Daddy. Let me be right there with you. Please don't send me away. I just want to be close to you. The distance has been tough. I want to celebrate closeness and proximity. I want to celebrate your lap as I sit with you and I share with you. And I long for keeping that relationship. He says, cast me not away and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David had a very deep insight. A big part of our understanding and recognizing God's presence is the relationship with the Holy Spirit. That was a huge part of that guaranteed series that we went through, right? In both John 14 and John 16, we saw this immense amount of information about the Holy Spirit and the value of his life with you. He is a real person. Let's not call the Holy Spirit it. Please don't do that, okay? Holy Spirit, person of God, passionate relationship with you and me. Please, may your Holy Spirit be with me for all eternity. Value in knowing the Almighty and in spending time with him. Then he says at the end, and uphold with me a willing spirit. May your willing spirit and my willing spirit become one willing spirit. May I be viewed as willing to be with you. May I go after you and be washed and cleansed. Lord, I want this to not just be a turn moment. I want this to not just be an aha mercy call moment, but this, may this be a lifetime walk of cleansing and purifying. May this celebrate you for the rest of our days. Washed and cleansed. Washed and cleansed. You know, it was 1818. And there was a Hungarian man born who would become a great doctor. As he became a doctor through the early to mid-1800s, he wanted to work with um, women having children. He loved doing that. And uh, really what happened back then was doctors were trying to learn so much that their day was spread doing a variety of things. So in the early morning, they usually were trying to learn, doing autopsies and whatever else. And then they were trying to get out and help the sick. And then they were trying to help those who were actually going through the regular everyday things like having a child. So he was doing all three of these things all day long. And he came to this little aha moment. I wonder if doing autopsies in the morning might require washing my hands before going and doing the rest. He really was the first guy to come up with it, sadly. There were like one in every six women dying in childbirth at that time. This man went and began to give speeches. He was at more like the one in 60 to one in 70 kind of death rate. 
And, and, you know, there were still things they didn't understand and things they were still trying to get their arms around. But this cleanliness factor seemed to be making an impact. You might just want to wash your hands. And even if I'm wrong, what's the worst thing that happened? You had a nice wash your hand moment. Like, how bad is that? Wash your hands. Nobody wanted to do it. It took decades before they recognized that the diseases from the autopsy were being brought forward and affecting the living and affecting women having children. Wash yourself. That was his battle cry. He used to stand up and give a speech and it started, wash your hands. That's what I want to tell you. It's that deep. Wash yourself. That, that's the call that David's putting out here. Wash yourself. Don't let the diseases and the muck of living that sinful life, don't let the junk of everyday living, of, you know, the bitterness and the upsetness and the how dare they say this to me and I can't believe they looked at me that way and can you believe so-and-so said and the, you know what I'm talking about? Like all day, every day, as we live with the yuck of the world and we let it just start getting on us and we don't wash, we bring it forward. And our living and our interacting with others starts to affect life. Be washed. Be cleansed. Get clean. The muck of this world can bring a lot of pain. Be very careful. We talk about fighting right. I'm telling you, it's going to require cleanliness before you get started. That's where we're at. And the cleanliness is not you muscling it. Please don't hear me wrong. It's not, I'm going to try really hard not to do anything wrong today. That's missing the point. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God Almighty in your life as you, in conjunction with him, become known as a willing spirit, as he said here. It's about you having relationship with him. Are you ready to be cleansed? Are you ready to be washed? Are you ready to take the filth of this world and the hurts and the muck and the anger and the bitterness and the whatever else comes along with the relationship junk that happens and say, Lord, wash me. May my mind start to think more clearly. May my heart start to long after you. May my hands be about serving you. I want to be clean in your eyes. I want to bring life to this world and introduce others to know you, the ultimate life giver. That's where it starts, is be transparent and then be washed. And then third, be humble and committed to God. Be humble and committed to God. You know, David starts in here and he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. This, just so you know, is the model of a healthy church. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. What's the model of the healthy church? It's I was broken And I realized as I hit rock bottom that things needed to change. And in my brokenness, I stepped forward and God transitioned me and began to transform me. And as I lived that transformed life and began to experience victory, I can now turn outwards and work with those around me and begin to share a passion for them experiencing the same thing. And I reach out and I lock arm in arm with the ones around me and share with them. And then they all hit rock bottom and they start forward. And now they all together are seeing transformation. And then they all lock arm and go forward. That is the model of a transforming church. May we always celebrate victory. May we always celebrate cleanliness. May we always be lifting up, learning in our tough spots and saying, 
I got some stuff to get clean. And then after we get it clean, saying, I'd love to be a part of working with others. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times where sometimes the hurt and the sin and whatever we've been through is going to take a good season of getting through. It's not, let's just jump out in one week. I mean, yeah, it, it, was, it was really wrong, but it's been a week. That's not what we're saying. There is a season for healing and a season for growing. But as you're growing and healing and as we're working together and partnering, there's a time where you step out and do various levels of ministry with people. Does that make sense? David is celebrating the opportunity of sharing how great it is to be close to his God. That's all he's saying. You want to know how good this celebration is? It's a party I want to invite people to. That's what he's saying. I just want people to come with me. I want you to see how great our God is. Then he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Deliver me. I was stuck in there and I needed pulled out. It is your hand at work in my life. Please do what I cannot do. Deliver me. Do you hear that? It's God working. It's us responding. Deliver me. And then he says in verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. May this not become something that speaks ill of you, but something that lifts up who you are, that talks about what you've done. May I be a person that turns outward and says, I don't know if you've met the Jesus that I'm talking about. Can I just tell you a little bit of what he's done for me? Can I just tell you the experience that I've had? Can I just tell you the change that I found as I'm going through this passage of scripture? It's not some magic. It's a real relationship. Could I help you out with this? Just look what I found. I, just listen to me for a second. That's all I'm asking. That's being bold and willing to share the victory you're experiencing. May my lips sing your praise, lifting up the value of who you are and how great it is to know you. Verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. What? What is David saying? I mean, Leviticus and Deuteronomy talk all about burnt offerings and sacrifices. You're not going to be happy with the very thing you asked for? You say, give it, now I'm going to give it, and you don't want it? What is he, what is he saying? Well, check this. We're going to skip a verse. We're going to skip 17. Let's go down to 18 and 19. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He's saying there's a time for sacrifice. There's a time for Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Well, what might come before that? David, what's your brilliant insight? He says, thanks for asking. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's just not about what you're doing. It's about what's motivating what you're doing. If what you're doing is all about drawing attention to self, you missed it. If what you're doing is all about trying to control it yourself, to, to be self-gratifying even, look how good I am. You wouldn't believe how many sacrifices I've done this year. I'm pretty much the sacrifice king. Like, is that what it's all about? You missed it. It's about a heart that has a walk with him, a broken and contrite heart. He says in verse 17, first of all, the broken spirit. Now, we use that phrase to mean something very different. It, uh, it basically means someone who doesn't believe anything could possibly go well for them again, right? That kind of totally discouraged. 
That's not the meaning here, all right? Broken spirit means kind of like the wild stallion who's now been tamed. It, it basically has this impact of huge amounts of energy and power and passion, but under godly control, broken spirit, okay? Very important that we understand that. And then he says right after it, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. May our hearts be passionately seeking after him. May we hunger for him. May we long for him. May we want to be with him. And may our hearts want to be honoring him. And may our lips be doing that. You know, as we put together Psalm 51, it's this awesome challenge to prepare to be used as vessels for God. Fight right is just not about you and me muscling it up as big as we can. That's really missing the point. Fight right is about you and me getting cleaned up as much as we can. It's about you and me saying, I want to be so cleansed. I want to be so pure. I want to be so passionate for him. I want to be so all about him that in the midst of it, I do nothing but hunger for him and it just brings joy. May I be transformed from the inside out and see him from the inside out as completely taking over my life and completely worth it. Lord, may I find you at work in me and making a big impact. That's David's challenge. Are you ready? Are you ready to be humble and be committed? Are you ready to lay yourself down before God and be transformed like never before? I'm going to ask us to just go to prayer right now. And we're going to take a few minutes. Let's have the worship team come on up. And we're going to take a few minutes right now to just lay our hearts out before God. We can hear a lot and even nod our heads and go, uh-huh. And then we walk out and we keep doing the same thing. Let's just take a few minutes here in prayer to begin to lay out, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me for, and we lay a few things to him. And I want to be clean. Let's just take that moment now. I'll open in prayer and then you just take some time to pray to him. It's cleansing time.